0: Hello and you're all very welcome. I spray my mental health podcast episode number 22 in a week or two no apologies this time around I make a habit of doing that is that it falls by the wayside and I come up with every excuse under the sun to justify why I haven't kept up with the weekly podcast but it's perfectly fine I spoke in the last episode about I was going through a really bad period, so producing podcasts was not exactly a priority, It's just doing my best to look after myself and when I put the last episode together, episode 21, which I spoke about Nick Drake and his music, which was very well received by people, thanks very much for listening to it and thanks for your feedback. But when I put that out two weeks ago, I kind of thought i had come out of the worst spell of incessant darkness that I had found myself in since January. But not so. It dragged on for another week or so and I was consumed by it. I was still very down and it's just taken a little bit longer for me to pull myself away from that. I think I've done that now, I think I've moved myself away from the worst of this particular bout of low mood and depression, which was really overbearing, and again, I spoke about this in the previous episode, in that 2018, 2018 was an incredible year, mentally I would put it down as the best year I've ever had, it was wonderful. And I felt I had reached a point of emotional maturity that I was really getting a grasp and a strong handle on where I am in terms of my own mental health. But when that bubble burst, it, uh, it left me in a really low place. So it just dragged on. It dragged on on and off for the best part of three months, January, February, March. And I was just quite lost. But, again, just the episode about Nick Drake, I just spoke about how... I don't want to say reliving, as if I was kind of searching for something in my past to rectify the situation, but just taking the pressure off and going back to the simple things in life that I enjoy, such as listening to music. And in this case, listening to music that I discovered when I was a little bit younger, So, I suppose there was, yeah, I suppose there was elements of nostalgia, um, in going down this, (coughs) excuse me, this happened the last time, (coughs) if you listen to the last episode, and I'm trying to talk, it probably sounded like there was something stuck in my throat, and I couldn't talk clearly, and, um, yeah, of grant, okay, that's okay, that's sorted, right, I can talk if I can speak clearly now i hope that sounds all right yeah sorry it happened for the entire last episode where i was speaking and it just sounded like there was a frog in my throat for the entire episode so apologies for that so i've just cleared my throat and hopefully that's clear now and everybody can hear me lost me train of thought and we're not even three minutes in wonderful i went back to listening to music that i discovered in my teens when i was in school So there were elements of nostalgia attached to that. And I just found comfort in listening back over actual albums that I listened to when I was younger. So albums as in the entire CD from track one through to ten or whatever it may be. Because I don't think people do that much anymore. I think we're just, we kind of pick and choose, go with our playlists of our favourite songs. Um, Nothing wrong with that. Several playlists depending what I'm up to. But just going back to a couple of albums that I did enjoy when I was younger, I found that quite soothing and quite comforting um, with this particular um, Bout of low mood as I've just said uh, But it did drag on I've eventually pulled myself out of it the last week. I've been feeling very good. I feel I'm through the worst of it and Look, I'm happy to talk about it in that Why am I happy to talk about it? I'm happy to talk about it as a millennial as a 34 year old male where I do believe there's still an element of misunderstanding and I suppose a stereotype that yeah, grown man has a good life, good job, lovely family, everything's going well, it's fantastic, how could he possibly be down? He could possibly be down because life is feckin' difficult. <laughs> it's, it, it's as simple as that and I just find myself just emotionally stumped a lot of the time and what it boils down to a lot of the time is just me worrying what other people think of me, me worrying where I'm going in life, where I'm going to be in a year's time, in two years time, in three years time, obviously worrying about my son, now he's growing up in a world and that I have no idea what change is coming down the line, no one does, but I'm look at him and think oh my god is he gonna tr- go through everything i went through in school in terms of bullying is he gonna have these mental health difficulties that i've had in my life uh, like that is a concern and i think it's quite a justified concern really and i don't think it matters what age of children are whether they are toddlers newborns or grown up in their 30s parents will always worry about their children which is completely understandable so yeah, look, there's a lot of things that swirl around my mind. And when I have a positive outlet as a distraction, it certainly helps. And since sort of October, November, I took a sort of a step back from a lot of things. And it was wonderful at first. It was wonderful. It, it, I'd come off the back of a five-year period that was completely and utterly bonkers. I was I use the word busy because I wasn't necessarily productive all the time but I was certainly busy for five years and there was a lot of change in my life and it kind of slowed down a bit come October November last year and I found myself in a little with a little bit of headspace with a little bit of peace and a little bit of calm and it was great I really enjoyed it I I, I spoke about it at the time that I sort of I I don't want to say recoiled that's quite negative I just sort of crawled back gently into a place of comfort and um, not putting any, any pressure on myself to go and do things or to try new things or to look for this that and the other to go and do it, it was grand everything was fine I was just enjoying my life I was working I was going home um, and I was it was great just doing a little bit of training, and ticking over and everything was fine with the viewpoint that come a new year set a couple of new targets a couple of new goals look at what else is possible in terms of the endurance challenges in terms of adventure and pick a couple of things to go and 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 challenge myself in the new year and that would all be fine but i suppose when i look back over those last couple of months to try and pinpoint what was the moment in which it started to unravel and look there were a couple of things i think in cutting back on several areas of interest, several hobbies as such that I had been undertaking with, uh, with a plum for quite some time, i give an example, the football, so coaching semi-professionally with shells, I'd done that for five years and prior to that I'd coached at under 18's level which was equally as demanding. It's practically a full-time job. So when that came to an end in October, it was a big change in my life. And I felt a relief. I did feel a relief initially. It was like, okay, I have a little bit more time to myself. They're going to plan for myself. And this will be wonderful. But I think as the time has sort of gone on, I, I do miss it. I, I miss look, I miss the bonding. I miss the crack. I, I, I miss the engagement. And... I miss the challenge of coaching because there's reward in it and it does help you in terms of confidence and in, in terms of assertiveness and a little bit of self-belief and self-worth when, when you can stand there in front of 20 professionals, um, hold their attention and, and maybe teach them something or helping, help them along the way. There, there is reward in that, internal reward that not everybody would see but I know myself that I'm feeling good about myself because I've done this. But doing that four nights a week, <coughs> and then a match, whatever it may be, <coughs> and a match that could involve a lot of travel. So I said before, we could be away in Cork. We could be away up in Donegal. So you have a really busy day where I'm starting my day job early to make a long trip and not getting back late. You night. Know, hectic days, um, but enjoyable nonetheless. But in removing all of that, Aside from giving me a nice bit of space, it it gave me more time in my head, because it was maybe time that I'm now spending alone, which I was otherwise spending with 30 people, um, and working as such, and also having a bit of laugh. So, um, yeah, footballers will drive you mental. And even if I was giving out about them without any kind of nastiness, it was still a distraction from my own head. (laughs) And... The, my own problems even if I was having a bad day and I'm on my way to training and I was oh, like oh I can't do this but by the time you get out you get set up you get yourself going it's not about me anymore it's about them they're the players in that football environment it's about them and that's what I loved about it it, it, it stopped me thinking about me so with that removed I think I was just thinking about myself too much which is never good and similarly I was doing a lot of S&C and PT sessions with private clients. So I had my own little space and I was doing that for a while. It was more of an experiment. Again, I'd never had any desires to make a full-time career out of personal training. It, it's it's a flooded industry. There's a lot of really good trainers doing really good work and really good at their jobs. And I, I, I honestly, I just wouldn't be confident enough to go into a commercial gym and work on a full-time scale training people, it it would be a confidence issue for me. That's just me being honest. I'm no better or no worse a trainer than anybody else. Um, And I was happy working in small groups of people or one-on-one in a private setting, again, in the knowledge that I was helping people or hopefully helping people. And again, when I finished up with that that was something else removed, something else that was a focus on someone else, and it gave me more headspace that wasn't necessarily positive. So those two things combined, removed, it just left me with a lot of time to think. And I think that was the beginning of what was the latest bout of low mood. I'm careful how I word that. Um, I always said I was never clinically diagnosed with depression and what i know i've dealt with over the years was just severe low mood and it fucking paralyzes me and has done on numerous occasions and on three occasions particularly um it was the lowest of the low but look i'm still here i'm still i'm still fighting for myself i've pulled myself over and i just i hope now just coming into end of march start of april is my favourite time of year. I love this time of year. I go as far as saying, I will have a harden from next week onwards heading into the summer. I love the clocks going forward, brighter evenings. It's just a really nice time of year and I have some nice memories of growing up, again, just in college, uh, playing football this time of year. You get to start coming into the midweek games to break the week. That was always fantastic. And lovely memory from Glendalock in my second year of college when... We went camping in Glendalough. No phones, no distractions, a different time. It was, wow, that was 16 or 17 years ago. That is, in many ways, depressing. But it was a wonderful two days. The the whole class went. We had a ball, and it was just, just a good time. There was nothing particular about it that made it so wonderful, but it was just a really good time. It was a really good two nights away, not too far in Glendalough. And it's something I associate with this time of year. And the people who are there, there's a couple of them I'm still in contact with around this time of year. I'll always send them a text saying, do you remember the trip to Glendalough? And I said, yeah, I do, Dave. You mentioned it 12 months ago. So um, just a nice time of year that I'm generally a bit more positive about myself and about life and just a bit more of a positive outlook. And let that be that. So yeah, onwards and upwards. Got to stay focused. Um, A big thing i'd like to highlight this i put a post up about this the other day i was onto the samaritans i was onto the support lines with aware um there's so many the the resources are there i I suppose at a private level not necessarily a governmental level where you could be left waiting a long long time for treatment that you need but i suppose privately and from a charitable base there are support networks in place and I can only look after myself, and I made a decision to speak to somebody who I didn't know, to speak to a stranger, and it was a little bit unusual. I've worked on the helplines, I worked for Teamline a couple of years ago for. I think it was about nine months. I spoke about that in one of the really early episodes. It was the first or second episode of the podcast. I spoke about that. And the big thing I learned from my time on the lines was a lot of people were just lonely. There were a lot of really nice calls. You get people just, particularly the night of a match, maybe it was a Champions League game on, you get people ringing in just wanting to talk about the match because they'd nobody to talk to. And there was a lot of loneliness, a lot of isolation. People maybe cutting themselves off from family and friends, but just finding comfort and talking to someone on the other end of the line. And i done that over the last couple of weeks, spoke to a couple of people. It was unusual. It was. It was very unusual. But just a reminder that the person on the other end of the line is volunteering their time so you can ring. They want you to talk. I always found that when... The phone rang and you answered as a volunteer on a helpline, and there was silence, and you knew someone else was there. Uh, you know, you, you couldn't be telling them what to do, but you're just reassuring them that, like, look, I'm, I'm here. If you're ready to talk, I listen. Um, you know, please find a, a, a place of comfort as to where you are to just open your mouth and say hello. And it is, it's overwhelming. I, I was a little bit shaky the first few times, but. What you find after a couple of minutes is you're just having a chat with somebody, and look, it's not always easy. Maybe telling them a quite dark task that you've had and how difficult the day it has been, how difficult the week, and you just can't see where you're going. But I think just having someone that's willing to listen is, and, and willing to listen and sort of remove from your inner circle, whether it's family or friends. I know that can be difficult too, because you may be, I, I can be a, I can be a little bit reluctant to speak to people the closest to me. Um, because I'm afraid of upsetting them and afraid of maybe having adding to their worry which they already feckin' worry about me but so sometimes just someone removed talking to a stranger I think, and listen, I'm only speaking from my own experience uh, for you, maybe not maybe speaking to your brother, your sister, your partner your mother, whatever, may work better for you but just to find one person um is better than not finding anybody, and, and I found comfort in that over the last couple of weeks, and I'll be trumping that from from here on in, um, over the next while. To just encourage people, whether it's helplines, whether it's your friend, family, whoever, as I've just said, just please talk to someone if you're feeling like shit, because I'm you deserve to be happy. I, I that's a bit. I don't know, is, is that a sense? Can you say that? Do you deserve to be happy? Of course you deserve. You can't say that. Of course you deserve to be happy. We all deserve to be happy. A little bit of contentment in our lives. Um, no one deserves to be completely and utterly miserable. And how I was feeling the last three months, I would not wish on anybody. And if there was someone going through that, I, I preferred if, if someone picked up the phone and rang me, even if I didn't know them, it, it, it would be... If you knew that... If you knew that your ear... Your skill of listening was going to help somebody, whether you knew them or not. I think everybody would lend an ear in that situation. i like to think so. So, yeah, 70 minutes in. And there's my plight from the last three months. Hopefully, that'll be the end of it. Hopefully, going forward, there'll be a lot of productivity, <laughs> a lot of positivity, a lot of celebration on the podcast from here on in. But... Just on that episode, Nick Drake. A lot of people listen to it. Actually, it's weird how this goes. I, I built up a bit of momentum. Did nothing for about a month. Threw out a random episode, and it got a serious amount of downloads. I think timing on these things is is usually essential. And whatever happened that day, I put it out. It was an unbelievable amount of down downloads. So thank you very much. It, wherever you listen to it, if it's iTunes, Spotify, subscribe, leave a comment, share it with your mates and get involved sending questions sending feedback sending comments whatever it is this always works better when people respond and open up and engage because that's what that's what it's about I I think that's why podcasts work because it can be a two way conversation so wonderful feedback a lot of people checked out Nick Drake enjoyed a couple of songs of his some people weren't into it which is perfectly fine that's the great thing about music it's different tastes and yeah, it was lo- lo- lovely to talk about him. He, he, wonderful artist, um, wonderful singer-songwriter, who, who came, his life came to a tragic end. And if you enjoyed it, wonderful. Great. If you haven't heard the episode, please do go back and listen to it. For this week, <laughs> to move on, again, I, I've spoken about 20 minutes about how I speak about myself, and that can never be good, and it's not always good. I'm going to stop speaking about myself now. <clears throat> and I suppose the good thing or actually one final point on that is the positive from all of this I've taken when I look back and reflect on those three months that, that were quite dour is the positive is I'm happy to say I'm not a very judgmental person and the reason is I'm so consumed by what others think of me and the badness that people may see in me that it distracts me from judging others. Which I think in a strange, twisted, bizarre way... Is somewhat of a positive. That I don't generally look at others in, in a bad light. I go looking for bad things about other people. Because I'm so feckin' terrified as to what they think of me. In a strange way, it's a positive. I might have to iron that out a little bit more. I'm working it, but... That that was the one, one good thing I took from it... The last couple of weeks. And moving on. So just... A slight warning just on on the podcast this week, <clears throat> again it's it's quite it's quite a dark topic of discussion and <clears throat> I just want to give a warning because it may not be for you and you may want to switch off, which is perfectly fine. I'm gonna be talking about cluster suicides, which is a difficult, a sensitive discussion to bring up, but ultimately an important one as well and very relevant in society today. And it's one element of the discussion around mental health, mental illness, uh, suicide prevention, that doesn't get a lot of air time. It doesn't get discussed an awful lot. So I think it's maybe important to bring it up. And I'm bringing this up through the lens of film. And I'm gonna start with, I suppose the segue for this was, and I'm gonna backtrack a bit. A friend of a friend of a friend sort of thing. A film was recommended to me a couple of years ago. A gentleman by the name of Frank Berry, wonderful writer and director. He's done a couple of films. There's a film of his on Netflix at the moment. It's called Michael Inside, which looks at... It's about a juvenile who ends up with a short-term stint in prison. So just look at the the, the prison system in Ireland. And just a look, at I suppose, about environment. A um, look at society today. A look at the, the drugs industry. And it's... It's quite, it's a compelling watch. It's, how would you describe it? It's a claustrophobic watch. There's, um, I'm not really ruining too much. It's in the title. It's about Michael inside. He goes inside. I think he gets sentenced to a month in prison. Quite a short term. I think it's almost to teach him a lesson because he's he's supposed to be trafficking drugs for somebody else and he's kind of just, he's a really nice kid. There's something about the kid, you look at him, he's like, he just looks like a fella that you'd probably be coaching for the local football team, he doesn't look like an absolute down and out or an absolute scumbag as such, he just looks like a regular kid that just gets caught up in stupid stuff, and and he's really likeable, a part you just wants to give him a hug, but anyhow, he ends up, he's locked inside, and it's a claustrophobic watch, it's quite compelling, it's, it's quite intimidating as well, and it seems to be doing quite well from... And I'm delighted to see it on Netflix. Irish, An Irish filmmaker, Irish writer. Delighted to see his work up there. So, I don't want to go in too much about Michael and Inside. I'll talk about that film in its own in its own merit in a separate podcast. But prior to this, a couple of years ago, Frank did another movie called I Used to Live Here. And in this movie, he, he examines the topic of cluster suicides. So... Where do you start with that conversation with the film? This is quite beautiful. He went. He filmed it in Killinarden and Talla, <clears throat> and he went to one of the to the community centre. He linked up with the local, the local branch of Headstrong. Uh, what was previously called Headstrong is now called Jigsaw. One of the youth mental health organisations doing fantastic work. And he told them about what he wanted to do, told them about the script. And what he did was, he, he didn't have any professional actors. He just recruited locals, which isn't unheard of. I've, I've heard other actors or other directors have done that. Shane Meadows has done something similar in England with a couple of his early movies. And so within the community of Kilinarden, the locals all came together to contribute to this film. And what's produced is... It's quite dark, it's almost like a silent movie. There's not much dialogue in it. But that's why it works. The script follows a, a young girl, I think she's 13 in it. Um, her, the actress's, you, no, you don't say actress. The actor's name is, I oh, could be pronouncing this completely wrong, Jordane Jones, Jordane. I'm really, I'm gonna double check this. I don't wanna be doing her any just, misjustice. Amy Keane, 13-year-old in the film, and Jordan Jones, Jordan Jones, I'm really sorry, this is terrible. I was on a nice roll there and all. Jordan Jones, that sounds right. She's a 13-year-old, she plays a 13-year-old called Amy Keane. She's the main. She's the lead in the film, alongside David Flynn. He also, he's also in Michael Inside, he plays the, the main character, Michael Inside, but he's a little bit younger in this one. Uh, he plays her, uh, her pal, who's also 13. His name is Dylan in the film. And what the film focuses on, it's quite striking. It's it's about Amy. She's living at home. She's trying to deal with her mother's death. She lives with her dad. There's a little bit going on with the dad and another woman that she's not too sure about. And she's going about her business. And one of the kids in the area... Um, death by suicide he, he kills himself and the film is focused around the conversation within the community about I think the gentleman's name in the film the young guy's name is Joe Healy in the film and it centres on the discussion around the community about his suicide about his death about how people are talking about knowing him some people are maybe pretending that they knew him better than they they did know him they're talking about suicide they're talking about where he is now they're talking about the implications of suicide and it's sort of on everybody's lift lips but nobody's saying anything and as this progresses and obviously Amy's at that age she's starting to mature herself and maybe going through that tunnel of adolescence she's trying to meet a boy and she doesn't trust him and you know she's in love with this guy but he's kind of screwing her over and this is messing her up a little bit, she's trying to figure out what's going on with her dad, she's trying to walk in that relationship there and there's sort of a couple of things going on that as I've spoke about in this podcast before, that intellectually and emotionally are stifling this young this young girl as, as she's growing up in her local community, and like I say, it's silent for a lot of. It's beautifully shot, and there's a score added to it. The music is done by Dara O'Toole, who's one of the composers with the RTE National Orchestra, and it, it's really soothing. Music is so keen is so key to a film. It, it has to work and I'll give you an example of this keep an Irish an Irish example as well when Love Hate was shown on TV on RTE television on a Sunday night the music that they picked to match up with the different scenes and the different dialogue and, and, and different actions that were going on at the telly really matched up when it came out in DVD because of the the music rights they had to change a lot of the songs and it completely changed the tone and the atmosphere of what was going on some people probably never even noticed this maybe I'm paying too much attention to it but it is, it's a known fact and and you'll know of a really good movie, a really good film, a good series that you've seen the music will always set the tone um, as to what's going on in the film and even the music that's used is completely stripped down, it's almost one or two piano keys um, that are quite deep, quite melodic, um, and just, they create that atmos- that poignant atmosphere that, it just has, it, it sort of grips you in the stomach, you're sort of like, Jesus, what is gonna go on here? Um, and you're obviously looking at her, you're, you're looking at Amy, she's starting to have this mini crisis, she's thinking about suicide, you're wondering what's gonna happen, and it really takes you in. It, it's quite a powerful watch. I was introduced to it when it came out in 2015, and I couldn't watch it just emotionally. I wasn't in a really good, I wasn't in a good place at the time it came out. And I couldn't watch it. I said, I, I need to wait until the time is right. And I watched it some time ago. And it had me in tears. There's a particular scene where she rings her da and she's on the bridge. I'm not ruining anything in the film. It, it It's, it, this kind of happens. Um, it's, It happens at the start of the film it sort of goes back to it. It's a very powerful scene. Um, And I could just feel that lump in me throat it was it was so deep and beautifully acted as well for somebody who had never acted before so what I'm gonna do I'm I'm gonna play the trailer and Just to give you an idea of, of what it's about and I hope I Hope you'll go and watch it. I think it's an important watch and I think Obviously the only people that listen to this are people in Ireland I don't think I have any listeners abroad, but I think when something is local particularly in an area that you know well, um, that's close to home, I think it sometimes can make it easier to relate to. And I think this, this, um, this movie certainly does this. So I'm going to play the trailer, see what you think, and hopefully it'll inspire you to go and watch the movie. It's an important watch. Amy, you're more and more like your man every day. Enjoy. And of course that won't work. We'll try that again. Yeah. It's good to see it, you though. You're grown up lovely. Did you hear about my dad's party? I did. Oh, That's exactly what I want. You um. didn't hear about Joe Healy. Did you say Joe Healy? Is there something wrong? He died. i about that young fellow. just don't get It's too quiet. Damn, you're not his mother. Yeah, I know that. Not your mother either. Do you know your man? Joe would have killed himself. Everyone was talking about him. That's how don't it. Look, you're all lying there. His man regret it. How can you regret something like that? He's not coming back. You're so quiet, Dim. Quietest person you've ever met. It's better to be quiet than to say something stupid. can we go back to the way things were? And we will, really? eh? Yeah, well, we can't now. You're fucking useless. Am I? Yeah. You I have no idea what's going on in this house today. You're an angel. <laughs> Despite the technical difficulty, we got through that, even the trailer is quite strong it it's um it's a difficult watch but I think it's an important watch and again as i said it it's it's a segue into the discussion about cluster suicides because that's what the film is examining and it was inspired by Frank did an interview and he spoke about wh- where the idea came from and it came from an idea it came from an article that Tony Bates wrote he was one of the founders of what was originally the headstrong mental health charity and he wrote a piece for an Irish newspaper uh, i think it was the independent and he basically said look not talking about suicide isn't working let's open up that conversation so let's 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 fail another way and let's do something now bear in mind this was a good few years ago this was written before a conversation around mental health mental illness was quite prominent so he wrote this article just saying look it's not working we need to change and i think frank just took inspiration for that and he opened up a discussion uh, in fictitious work in the film that uh, i used to live here it's available you'll get it on amazon prime or google play it's I think it's only it's only like two ninety nine, three ninety nine. You you can just pay for it there and then, watch it on your phone or Chromecast on your telly, whatever all the cool kids do. But I'd highly recommend it. As I said, it's a difficult watch, but it's an important watch as well. And I'd be really interested to see and to hear what other people think about it. Because I think with this it's an intimate portrait of a young girl's life in Dublin. Dealing with a suicide in her local community. How more relevant can that be in in Irish society today? And I think it's, I'd highly recommend it. If you're not au okay, if you're not familiar with it, it's a cluster of suicides, it's basically contagion, copycat suicides, where, <clears throat> you know, one person may take their life by suicide and someone else may follow suit and it could be in the same classroom it could be in the same football team the same community the same country it's just obviously clustered together and one of the most earliest examples of cluster suicide was back in 1980 there were two young girls in Sri Lanka who they ate the seeds of what's known as the Yellow Alander plant which is poisonous and basically killed themselves and within the following year there were 23 cases of Olander poisoning and death by eating these seeds in in this same area. And it was linked to the publicity of the previous tragedy. There were eventually in the years after were forty six incidents incidences of this poison this poisoning this I am careful how I word it on I don't know if this if these were just experiments or they were actual suicides, but it, it this is where this whole idea sort of spawned from. But there were hundreds of deaths from people eating these seeds in the same area in the years that followed. Um, and I suppose look, it's simplistic to maybe just suggest that the consistency in, in such a harrowing demise of so many young people is just solely linked to one act, but. It's equally simplistic to see that why reportage and certain explanation of of, of said acts can lead to to a curiosity um, and an uncertainty about it and, and, and point an arrow down a certain direction it's a really complex discussion and like I say I'm quite careful I'm not an expert in this I, I've just done a little bit of reading on it over the last couple of months and I'm just sort of passing on what I've learned about it and as I said I think it's an interesting discussion and an important discussion to have so the studies related to cluster suicides suggested suggested it's most common amongst teenagers, which I suppose in many ways isn't that surprising. I think if we think of ourselves as teenagers, we can be quite impression- impressionable. We're going through so many changes in, li- in life. Um, it, it isn't that unusual. It, it really isn't. And I suppose with young males, and again, it goes back to that discussion about image, about uh, peer pressure, about the pressures that are put on in society in, the, in different degrees over the years. And not surprisingly, teenagers, those under the age of twenty-five, are just considered a high, re- a high risk, a high risk group when it comes to the discussion around cluster suicides. Throughout the two thousands, a lot of years, there was a high rise in suicide among soldiers deployed to Iraq and Afghanistan. So U.S. soldiers, again, it's probably not that surprising. Um, like that's a pressure situation. Most of, most of them probably didn't even want to go. Again, such a complex and intricate discussion. It's. Again, is it too simplistic to say the only way out these guys could see was suicide? I, I don't know. It's maybe open to another discussion on another day to look into that in a little bit more detail. But I'm just giving from the studies that have been done, this, these are the examples that have been given um, when it comes to talking about cluster suicide. So. I mean, to look at the death of, say, a team by suicide, the anatomy of the tragedy, it can fracture so many different areas, so many different people in his or her life. You've got family, friends, you've got teachers, you've got the community. Um, as I say, you've got the football team, you've got the guy team, you've got... It just branches out. Then you've got the connectedness to the age group. Other people in that age group are looking. You've got other parents who have kids in that age group you know you've got school looking at the situation where you've got an entire building with teenagers from the age of 12 to 18 looking at what has just happened there's so much confusion so much so much lack of clarity around why and i suppose a little bit uncertainty about what to do next how do you deal with this and there's so much emotional attachment to the reasons and the trauma uh, that comes with it that it is enough to damage the uh, the civility and the well being of those closest to the departed and and those within that circle, if not if not directly within that circle. And a big thing then as well is that media influence. And I'm probably a little bit late in this conversation, but this was highlighted recently with Keith Flynn's death. Um, lead, the the lead of the prodigy a couple of weeks ago. Uh, the word is it was death by suicide, and some of the tabloid newspapers. You've probably seen this front page of the paper, it was his wife left him, this is why he did it. Just speculation, no fact, zero fact, just speculation. Um, you're piloting a conversation that can get people to gossip as to why this gentleman took his own life. And there's guidelines in place now to to try and stop this. But look, ultimately, people are interested. These guys are interested in sales. They're interested in gossip. Which is quite sad, really, but there is a media influence in this one hundred percent. And again, it, it seems to come into prominence when it's celebrity death, somebody well known. And this, there is a word for this. There, there, there's an explanation about this with a celebrity death by suicide uh, in the media. It's what's called the word or word word or original word I'm doing this. That's three or four trip ups already. That's ah, grand. Um, the word or effect. Um, which is used to describe the power of media and the culture in which we've grown up in means of what we're exposed to and we're Say every generation has been exposed to some form of media whether it's television, radio, newspapers Obviously today, you've got social media. It, it's evolving all the time and Warder was he was a, fi- a fictional character He was the hero of a novel written by a German poet called Johann Wolfgang von Gautier Oh nailed that I absolutely nailed that in the first go and I'm not going to go back and say it again but basically the novel the book it finishes with Warder dressing himself in boots in a blue coat and a yellow vest he sits at a desk with an open book and he shoots himself and that's how the novel ends and in the years that followed Many men followed suit, dressing themselves in the way this chap dressed himself in the book, uh, sitting at a desk with a book and shooting themselves. And consequently, the, the book got banned in several countries, which is which is remarkable. Remarkable. I'd never heard about that until I, until I started researching uh, a couple of months ago about uh, cluster suicides, and that's an early example of, of of just the influence that media may have. Now, to be fair to the author, the, I'm. The, you know that was not his intentions. He's his talent is writing. He's written a story, and I'm sure, had he had known this is what was going to unfold, he'd have changed his ending or maybe toned it down a little bit. But this is what happened, and it's on record as to what happened. And this is what researchers have taken from it: is that people will copycat. Keep people may look at this and see see something in it for themselves. So. Yeah, it's interesting. Another interesting aspect on it. And again, look, I'm, I'm not an expert. I'm keen to point that out. I, I'm not, I, I'm not 100 talking. You know, my my own. It, it's not 100 percent my opinion. It's just different articles that I've come across on the topic that I want to highlight and maybe get you thinking. And. I want to surmise this this conversation in in a particular way and that's on a positive note that's all so also in 1998 so I'm I'm jumping between the decades here the US average in suicide deaths were between 1200 and 1700 every month and a sociologist by the name of David Phillips he researched that whenever there was a high profile suicide that was reported on the front page of either the new york times um or one of the, ma- or one of the national newspapers that the average increased by by 60 by 60 people the following num- following month and that's i mean that's one researcher's work that that's quite remarkable so regarding the information on preventing cluster suicides I mean, there's there's different community-based strategies that have been looked upon in, in different countries across the world. In Australia, they, they've set up response teams in different areas, so just you're working with locals within the community. So again, parents, teachers, teenagers, um, local news agencies, uh, counsellors, just to set up almost like a committee, a management team that will develop and coordinate a plan to manage a, a, any signs of a cluster that may be developing um, and also just contact points in terms of referral to psychologists uh, and counseling that may be needed for people in the area and just taking responsibility of media reporting on the impact of sensationalized shite that may appear in newspapers and otherwise and it cannot be underestimated so again really simple examples of just I suppose how to galvanize a community to look out for each other and, and that's what this is about just looking out for each other and I suppose closer to home um, th- There were a couple of examples in Ireland There's one that was reported on a good few years ago. This is maybe nine or ten years ago. This came up that There were reports of Numerous suicides that they were examining as a potential cluster um, it was never confirmed but a potential cluster in and around Cork they they never understandably again goes back to the media influence and, and the reportage on, on such a sensitive topic they, they'll never kind of address where exactly this is happening because it, it could obviously it could affect the situation in a negative way but there were 17 suicides in this particular region it it was labelled as the Cork Munster region so that that's fair enough it's not particular and I and, and wouldn't have anybody maybe thinking oh Jesus this is this my next door neighbour or should I be worried about my own my own situation at the moment but look it was labelled as the Cork Munster region there were 17 suicides between 2008 and 2010 um, of those this is quite scary of those 17 incidents there were there, all had a direct or indirect, indirect link to the first person who took their own life so you know, the National Suicide Research Foundation looked at this and recognised a significant trend. And um, again, just my own taking it, you look at that period 10 years ago, you were at the height of a recession. Perhaps that played its part. Maybe not. Maybe it was something else. I'm not too sure. But it's, look, it's an interesting discussion. It's something I wanted to bring up tonight. I'm not going to answer any. I'm not gonna answer anything on it. It's impossible to answer anything on such a broad topic, but I just think it's something I wanted to bring up through the lens of film. That's what inspires Frank Berry. I used to live here. Please do go and watch, it's such an important watch. And in raising this conversation about cluster suicides, the basis of, of this is just me. I don't wanna say advice, I don't wanna like give people advice because it took me 20 odd years to learn how to advise myself and how to look at, look after myself. But just look out. First of all, look out for yourself. We know that, look out for yourself. But Jesus, if you're in a football club, look out for your mates. You're in college, look out for your mates. Brother, sister, look out for them. Whatever stage of life you're in, whatever community, whatever society, club, whatever your social outlet is, whether it's even in work, your colleagues, Just look out for each other, think about the time that we spend on our phones. It'll take 10 seconds to just scroll through your contacts, pick the name and send a text or a WhatsApp to say, how's things pal, everything all right, how are you doing? And you just never know, you never know, you could get that guy or girl going through a really bad day and your text could change the mood entirely um, and just be uplifting for somebody who needs it. And it's about community, connectedness, and just looking out for yourself and one another. I may be like a priest at an altar here. But it, it again, it's just simplistic conversation about looking out for ourselves and looking out for one another. So I'd implore you to do that this week. Just bang out a text, one text to one friend. You might be chatting to them every day. But maybe just give him a text, give her a text and just see, are they doing okay? I know for me over the past three months and... When I was going through a shitty time, a shitty day, when I got a text asked someone asking how I was, even though they didn't know how fucking bad I was, it was just nice to be able to write back maybe saying, look, I'm not great, but look, here I am. And I can just open up a normal conversation that may brighten up someone's day. I'm going to leave it at that. But please do that. Look after yourself. Send a text to somebody, one of your mates, somebody in your life you might be speaking on a regular basis or you might not have spoke to it in a long time give them a text 10 seconds of your day how are you doing you never know what impact that might have on somebody thanks very much for listening it's good to be back good to be doing the podcast uh, I do enjoy it going to try and keep it up as best I can so yeah you can check me out on Instagram performance underscore doc doc if you have any comments any feedback on the episode thanks very much for listening talk to you soon